Welcome to the Deep Roots at Home podcast. For those of you new here, the Deep Roots at Home website was founded by Jackie in 2011. As a retired RN, longtime homeschooler, past Lyme sufferer with a love of preventative natural medicinals, Jackie has encouraged women for years now. Our desire is to spread truth and important information during these recent deceptive times, as well as the practicals of homemaking and all things beautiful. Whether you are listening in the car, while you're making dinner for your children, or sitting with a relaxing cup of tea, welcome to the podcast. Last week, you heard part one of our encouraging and edifying conversation with author, speaker, and father of 11, Israel Wayne. We talked about from toddlers to teens, godly parenting. Today is part two of our conversation, so stay tuned. So let's talk a little bit about the digital world and screen time and all of the, um, you know, the cultural influence right now with social media and gaming and how, how do you handle that in your home and what is the advice you would give to, to, to parents of not only young children, but, but teens? Sure. Yeah, when I think about that issue of time being the most powerful force in influence, if you take a child's day and you figure they have 24 hours and hopefully they sleep eight of it, that leaves you with 16 hours. Uh, The average evangelical Christian parent uh, sends their child to a school where they spend seven and a half hours a day away from the parents, um, you know, traveling to school and in school and back from school. And then they come home and sociologists tell us they spend seven and a half hours a day after school in multimedia. Well, that's 15 hours a day of influence that's not the parents. And then in 2020, the National Department of Labor Statistics, which is the federal government, said that the average mother only spends one hour a day interacting with her children. And the average father is only 29 minutes a day. So that one hour that's left of of their day Uh, mom gets influence and 29 minutes of it, dad gets influence. And when you put that on the scale, that will never balance. You will never find a way to be the most important influential person in your child's life uh, when your child's getting, I would say, indoctrination that is anti-Christian for most people. 85% of all evangelical Christians send their children to anti-Christian government schools. So they're getting anti-Christian instruction in the schools. And then most of the multimedia that they consume is also anti-Christian. Uh, in fact, it was, I think, Barna who said that only 2% of Christian teenagers have a different media palette than their secular friends. You know, so like 98% of all Christian youth are consuming all the same garbage that their non-Christian friends do. So you're talking about 15 hours a day of anti-Christian indoctrination. That adds up to 25,000 hours before they graduate high school. And parents are just getting a small sliver of that and, and churches even less. So why then are we surprised when Barna Group and LifeWay and Pew Research all say that we're losing 70% of our church youth before they leave high school graduation that say, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. So we have to find a way if we want to be parents of influence to buy back time. The school certainly is a massive chunk of that time, but so is the media and screen time. So as much of that time as you can buy back and get that influence back as a parent, uh, the better. And it doesn't mean you can't use screens, 
but you need to control the content. And so, you know, we let our children watch a lot of uh, educational videos, but we promote those that have a biblical worldview. And so we want to have them watching videos from uh, people like Summit Ministries or Worldview Academy or uh, Answers in Genesis or, you know, Way of the Master with Ray Comfort or whoever. We, we want them to be getting good input uh, to help them to think and live with a biblical worldview. So we don't just cut out all screens, but we utilize that to be able to to put good things in them. Yeah, and I would actually argue that homeschooling can sometimes not be much better because sometimes um, homeschooling, the kid can have even more time than um, than they should to, I you know, for me, it seems like with my kids, it defaults so quickly, it defaults. And if there's not something to fill that void, they're gonna default. And so, um, you know, I know homeschooling families where, um, it, it actually, they actually have more time to be on screens being at home because they get their school done so quickly and, or their responsibilities and they're on YouTube or they're, so um, it can be, it, it doesn't just, it, I mean, the amount of screen time is, is hitting all the families, whether they're being in public school, Christian school, or even homeschool. And possibly sometimes the homeschoolers can be the worst in the sense of having that extra time and not filling that void. Sure. I have a chapter in parenting, uh, raising them up parenting for Christians uh, on techno parenting, where I talk about some practical ideas. So a few things, obviously limiting and setting a certain amount of screen time per day so that there's a time limit. And then once that's established, then you don't have to fight about it every day. You know, you set right. a timer and when the timer is up, then, hey, your time is done. You will do different things now. That helps. Um, we put... Um, accountability and filtering software on all of the devices. I'm quick to warn parents that none of those software programs are foolproof. Um, and so, you, you know, that doesn't absolve you from your responsibility as a parent to still be proactive. Uh, we make sure that all of our students use devices in a public space, like the living room or the dining room somewhere uh, where, you know, they're not uh, taking a device into their bedroom. We personally, we're not the standard for which every other family needs to measure themselves because um, every family is going to have to figure it out for themselves. But for our family, um, uh, we allow our children to get email to communicate with relatives and, and close friends and so forth at 12. And we we monitor uh, that in those early years. Um, but, you know, it's positive because we know who they're writing to and so forth. And then at 16, um, I allow them to have social media um, and, and, you know, we try to walk through them and teach them how to use that responsibly and have conversations with them about it. And then as far as smartphones, my approach with my children has always been that you can have a smartphone when you have a job and can pay for it. Uh, so we have had times where we've wanted to get in touch with our children and to communicate with them conveniently, uh, for their safety and for our peace of mind. So we've gotten gab phones, G-A-B-B, and we use those. It's a dumb phone. It has no internet connection whatsoever. And so they they can't be surfing the web, uh, you know, with the phone, but they can call us and we can call them. That's been something that's very practical. And so if our 12-year-old is uh, away, you know, at church doing something, we can get a hold of him and talk to him. And so we, we use technology. You know, we don't just shun technology, but we have parameters for it. And we try to teach them how to set their own parameters. And even with my uh, adult sons, I tell them, you need accountability in your life for your devices as adults. I'm not going to control you. Again, that influence versus control. 
I'm not going to control your life at 22 and tell you what to do, but I'm also not asking you to do something that I don't do in my own life. So you need filtering software. You need accountability software on your um, laptop or your phone. It doesn't have to be your parents. You know, it could be an elder at the church. It could be a godly Christian mentor, but you need to seek that out on your own. Uh, you need to be making those choices as a 35-year-old man yourself, not because your parents are telling you to, but you realize that there's wisdom in it. And so those are things that I try to model for my own children um, and then encourage them to do themselves uh, through the power of influence. When it comes to vaccines, most mothers and fathers want to know facts, not others' opinions. Jackie wished she had known more facts when she went in for her first well-baby visit. Because Jackie strongly promotes parental choice, she felt led to write a short treatise with personal facts. This vaccination ebook is pretty concise to allow you, the parent, to read, research into the studies she shares, and come up with your own decisions. Jackie's sincere desire is that you and your children thrive, and so she presents to you the vaccination ebook free of charge. Simply go to deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. So do you have, do you have a favorite, um, uh, service that that helps i don't them. recommend any services because i will get sued oh. uh, if i tell somebody <laughs> use this program and then their kid gets into something bad on the Ooh. internet yeah. they'll hold me liable for that so what i tell them is that none of them are perfect and there's a workaround to all of them right uh so no i don't name any by name but um they they all so the basic rule of thumb is to consider this your children are always going to be smarter than you yeah. And there will always be a workaround. I, I had a conversation with a homeschooling dad who does IT for the U.S. government and some of the highest security that you can possibly have with encryption and all this kind of thing. And he told me that in his home, he thought he had set up his home like a, a, a virtual Fort Knox that was just impenetrable. And there was no way his kids could get into something. And he found out his 13-year-old had a workaround for yeah. his it security system and he said and i can't tell you you know how to do it because there are probably young people that will be listening in the background so i'm not going to tell you what he did but right. when he told me how his 13 year old got around it i was like you better watch that guy he's going to end up either working for the government like you are in prison somewhere <laughs> because he's outsmarted his dad and so you know even the best of the best uh can be outsmarted by their kids and so um and that's why we again have to have conversations about on a heart level with exactly. them and not merely just police them because, you know, while there's nothing wrong in one sense with policing your children, eventually you, you're not going to be there to police them, right? They're going to be 21 years old and they're going to be making their own decisions. And so the goal is to try to get this on the inside of them. Exactly. Yeah. Because if it's just policing when they're 16 years old, they're going to, they're going to find ways around it. But if you've got gotten at their hearts, and there's respect there in your relationship. Um, even, you know, even if, even if they aren't converted at that moment, um, if, if there is a, a, a respect built in the relationship, that can go a long way. Um, and um, in, in helping a child to, to, you know, to have a trust in their parents, even if they don't fully understand um, that, you know, these, these foundations 
of trust and respect are being laid. And then when the time is that they are converted, Lord willing, you know, um, that's all already there as well. Well, let's shift back to little children again. Um, and you have uh, a chapter that is called um, how I taught my children to sit still and be quiet. <laughs> and I'm sure that every, uh, you know, those that have little ones would love to hear um, a little bit more about how you did that. I mean, what, you know, what are some of the things that you did back when we're, we're in those early training days now where it is, it, it's not about, um, uh, you know, having conversations and logic, but it's about obedience. Yes. Well, in that chapter, you know, we talk both about um, child training, but we also talk about family worship. And we found that the context of daily family Bible time, family devotions, family worship, that that was the best context for us to really teach our children some self-restraint. And so uh, what we would do is when our child was born, um, they would join with the family in sitting each morning, uh, opening the word of God, reading it together, discussing it, praying, singing. And so they never thought it was strange because it was just something that they experienced in utero. And then they experienced it as a, an infant being held in mama's arms. The problem kind of comes in when they get to be in that, you know, six to 10 month range where they start to wiggle and they want to get down and crawl, or especially when they start walking then they really want to get down and start moving around. And so you'll see them start to squirm and to fidget, try to get off mama's lap and push against mama and start to fuss and cry. And so there's sometimes as a tendency, if you're trying to have Bible time and you're focused on, we're trying to teach the Bible to our children to um, allow the baby to get down and crawl around. But what we found is that it's a wonderful training time to teach them how to have self-restraint. So mama will just continue to uh, gently and lovingly hold the baby uh, with some restraint and to not allow the baby to get down and the baby can fuss and wiggle and, you know, cry and all of that. Uh, but we just hold the baby and continue to read. And, and there are times where uh, it becomes disruptive to the point where we feel like we're not getting much Bible in today, but we realize that we're getting in very important training with this young one. And eventually it takes a few months, three, four months, something like that. And I know some parents are like, oh, we would die before that time. But, you know, anything that's worth doing is, is worth doing, right? And so you win by a long obedience in the right direction. Uh, and so, you know, over time, uh, over the course of uh, several months of doing this, this child will learn how to calm down and to uh, control themselves. And eventually they just figure out that that I don't get down until this is over and then I get put down. And then once I get put down, I can go play. But in the meantime, I have to sit here. So the net result of that is by the time our children are um, typically two to three years old, and obviously if your child has special needs, it's a completely different situation. Uh, you know, the, the rules don't, same rules don't apply. It's a very different situation with special needs children. But we found that the two to three years old, our children can go to a church service and, and we just have our whole family sit together in the church service. I'm kind of weird that way. I don't send my children off to all the age classes. We just sit as a family in the main service and listen to the the big big people sermon. And people say, well, but but isn't that you know wrong that you're making your children sit and listen to something that's boring? Well, first of all, if your sermons are boring, probably find a better church. Uh, but secondly, 
if if children never learn how to sit and listen to boring boring sermons, then what happens is they never learn how to sit and listen to boring sermons. And they're 18 years old and they don't want to right. sit and listen to a boring sermon. They want to be entertained instead. Yeah, they, they're used to the cookies and the videos and the games and the video games or whatever is offered down the hall. They're interested in that. And so they have a really hard time. And even as adults, you can tell the, the adults who were raised that way because they're 25 years old sitting in service, scrolling through social media on their phone, watching Instagram or whatever. Um, they can't sit and pay attention to a boring sermon. Uh, I'm digressing a little bit. But the, the point is that uh, by two, three years old, we find that our children can sit through an hour and a half service and they don't think twice about it because we're doing it every day at home. And so the home training is really the best way to prepare your children to be able to sit. And and don't get me wrong, they have lots of time where they run and they play and they go outside and they build forts and they sla sled down a hill in the snow in the wintertime and all that. We're not like you sit around our house and, you know, like a monk and, and chant Gregorian themes all day. We, it's not that. But there are times where children need to learn how to restrain themselves and be quiet. And I find most children don't have that capacity at all ever funeral wedding church service like there's no context where they can ever sit still and be quiet and so what parents right. do is they basically just say well we can't go to that right you know we can't go to that we can't take our children because our children won't sit still and be quiet well right. they, they can learn but you have to teach them and they won't learn in a week it's a very long process that takes consistency over a long period of time um, but it can be done and then of course the, the other benefit of that is think about if you're teaching your children the bible every day how much scripture they get in them from the time they leave your home when they've heard the Bible taught every day. Right. Um, it's much more substantial than, you know, hearing it in a Sunday school class once a week. Right. Absolutely. It is no secret that Jackie loves TRS, but some have asked exactly what is TRS? TRS is a nano zeolite spray that facilitates some amazing things. TRS does not heal anything, but it gently clears the body of toxins and heavy metals. So the body can heal itself exactly as God designed it to do. Why not get to the root cause instead of just applying band-aids? Excellent supplements and individual remedies can help, but they cannot help as much until you remove the root source of inflammation and disease. Detoxing toxins and metals is foundational to good health. TRS is safe for the elderly and for children as well. For more information, go to www.deeprootsathome.com forward slash TRS. You know, and when we talk about child parenting, child training over the years, what I have seen is I've seen such extremes too with, um, you have this movement now, this gentle parenting where it's like you would never tell your child no. You would never tell your, you would never discipline your child. You'd never use the rod. And then you have this, uh, I think that's actually a reaction to spank for everything. You know, you know, use the rod for everything. And again, you're back to punishment versus a relationship and getting at your children's hearts. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I always say there's a ditch on either side of the narrow road. And for some reason, it seems like Christians like riding in ditches. And so, uh, it's so true. Yeah. And That's so, you know, light, right. We want just, yeah. Like and so, well, or a lot of it's reactive, right? My parents raised me, they, it's either my parents raised me this way. So I'm doing what they did 
or my parents raised me this way, so I'm doing 180 degrees the opposite of what they did. Right. Um, as opposed to saying, okay, maybe my parents were imbalanced in this way. I don't have to be imbalanced, but I also don't have to swing over to some other weird extreme. Right. So, you know, what, what children need, especially toddlers, is they need predictable boundaries. They need predictable consequences for when they step over the line and are defiant. And then they need absolutely consistent follow through with the application of discipline when they disobey and defy their parents. So they need to know what the boundaries are. I'm allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. And then when they defy their parents, they need to be disciplined. And that discipline needs to be uh, appropriate and loving, uh, but it also needs to be consistent because if you aren't consistent and you let your child get away with something, even one time out of 10, they're going to keep up the bad behavior. It's only when you really become consistent as a parent that you start to see change in the behavior of your children. Uh, because if a, if a child knows every single time I do this, I'm going to lose, you know, like I'm, there's, I'm not going to get away with this ever. They'll quit. And, and I have 11 children. I have observed this. They will stop. But if they look at it and go, you know what? Two times out of 10, I don't get disciplined because mom's tired. She doesn't feel like dealing with it or, you know, she just lets it go or whatever. Uh, they'll keep it up. It's enough payoff for them if they get away with it even a couple of times. Right. So, yeah. yeah, as parents, you know, again, it needs to be it needs to be loving uh, appropriate and not in anger. Again, we have a whole big thing in the the pitch in a fit, uh, overcoming anger and stress about parenting book, um, that talks about the the toxic side of parenting with anger and stress. And, um, you know, some parents I think have, have reacted very much against discipline as a whole, uh, because of the way that they were raised with, with anger from their parents. Well, you don't have to reject the discipline part. You need to reject the anger part. And so we teach you how to do that in that book. So what do you wish if you could go back and talk to your 25 year old self, what would you tell yourself about parenting now? What, what, with, with your experience that you know now? Yeah, I, I would not be as hard as I was on my first couple. Um, I was so concerned about trying to do everything perfectly and to do everything right uh, and to raise perfect children that. I was too stressed out and I was too hard on them. Um, I think that that sometimes they look at the way that I raise my younger ones and they're like, well, you're so easy on them. Um, and I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not a permissive parent. Um, I have very firm boundaries and am, am consistent with those boundaries, but I'm not as stressed out about it. You know, like I said, I just have a kind of quiet confidence that I know I'm going to win. And so uh, that comes from experience, right? And so I think what I would have said is um, with my younger ones to, to smile more, just have more fun with them, uh, to, to just relax, to stop being so stressed out with like every bad behavior on their part, you know, me viewing it as the end of the world, like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to deal with this because my child's going to end up in prison if I don't deal with this too, you know. I don't know. I just, I took things kind of to the wrong extreme of, um, uh, you know, being so overboard of just wanting to get this right. And I think it came from a good motive, a good place uh, intentionally, but the application of it was that I just was overly stressed out. And so I, I think that in some ways maybe can only come through experience, but 
Um, if you are consistent with doing the right things with your children on a consistent basis, you will see fruit in your child's life. You don't have guarantees about decisions that they'll make, right? So I'm not promising that, you know, oh, your children will all turn out great if you do all the right things. But as a general pattern, a general rule, um, there is a law of sowing and reaping. And when you sow the right kinds of things, uh, you you tend to get uh, fairly predictable results in terms of um, you know, the, what you can expect from your children. There are caveats to that. And again, special needs children, it's so difficult because you can do all the same methods right. with your special needs children and get very different results. Right. And so that's a difficulty. And I'm not an expert in that realm, but you do need to parent your special needs children differently than you parent your um uh, what's what's the term that we use now um uh, you know cognitively oh somebody's gonna be mad at me because i can't think of the term but uh it, it, you know the the more uh the, the children who have more of the the normal co cognitive abilities yeah you have to um find somebody and seek somebody out who has expertise in those areas to help you with the children who uh you know maybe on the autism spectrum or who have different learning disabilities, learning difficulties. Um, that's a, it's a different kind of approach. But in general, I think uh, with with my children, uh, for example, I said I've had 11 children. We have one child that would be on the autism spectrum. And parenting him in particular is just completely different in terms of the inputs and outcomes than the other 10. And so I see the results that are, are very different. Like we've parented him with the same approach and you don't get the same outcomes. And so uh, I've, I've learned very strongly there that you have to realize that there are different personalities with children uh, that you have to compensate for and be aware of. You have extroverts and introverts, you have strong-willed and more complacent, compliant, you have boys, you have girls, you, you, know, you have a lot of dynamics in there. But in general, if you have loving consistency uh, and you are, are firm, but kind, um, you will find that it bears good fruit in your family. Um, and then with those ones who are, are wired a little bit special, you may need to seek out some special help on how to help them. Um, but I really believe that for myself, if I would have been able to know with just more confidence and peace that this is going to turn out okay, um, you just, just need to be consistent. You know, you don't have to freak out every time your child does something that's defiant as though this is the end of the world. It's what two-year-olds do, right? <laughs> that's what they do. They defy you and they say, no, I don't want to. And uh, you just realize that they're the child and you're the parent and you will get through this. And if you are consistent, you will win. And uh, I wish I, I wish I was more aware of that at that time. Thankfully, I have a great relationship with my 22 year old son, my 21 year old daughter, um, my, my 19 year old son, you know, my, my oldest ones uh, have a great relationship with them. And I've had to go back, you know, with some of them and say, hey, I made mistakes. You know, I didn't do it all right. I, I was imperfect and I was doing the best that I knew. And thankfully, the, the mistakes that I made were not horrible, tragic, life-changing mistakes. You know, they weren't, uh, you know, I think most people will probably wouldn't even consider them to be mistakes. But um, it's good for us to do that, to own our mistakes and go back to our children and say, hey, man, I, I was doing the best I knew. And I'm sorry, like I didn't I didn't get that right. 
And uh, hopefully you can do better. You know, when you have children, you can do better than me. Well, and I think that's where we are leaning hard upon Jesus because we are, every one of us going to make mistakes. There is not a single one of us that like the Bible talks about parenting after what's the phrase parenting, like you mentioned it earlier, parenting after our own ways. Um, and, uh, and so we are going to make mistakes and owning yeah. each and every day. And even going back, back daily to our children, you know, I was angry. I was angry. I disciplined in anger. I should yes. um, Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, those, those and with our spouses too, right? Absolutely. Yes, for sure. And the daily leaning, leaning hard on Jesus, leaning hard on his grace, because ultimately, you know, our children's hearts are in the hands of the Lord and it's, it is up to him to save them. Is that right. to him to do the work in the heart? Um, I like to use the analogy of when Jesus um, told the, at the marriage at Cana, when Jesus told the, the servants to fill the water pots with water and then he turned it into wine. Well, it's our job to fill those water pots and, and it's our responsibility to be parenting to the best of our ability and reliance on the Lord, but it's up to him to turn the water into wine. Absolutely. In these troubling times, it's no secret that we are being censored. It's getting harder and harder to spread the truth. Facebook is throttling us and we don't know how much longer we will be there. Here are a few things you can do to stay in touch with Deep Roots at Home. Firstly, sign up for our newsletter. Jackie sends out exclusive, important content to her readers. The link will be in the show notes. Number two, consider making Deep Roots at Home your homepage in your browser. Number three, print your favorite Deep Roots at Home articles and place them in a binder to have on hand in case of emergency. And finally, follow us on other social media channels. We are now on Telegram and Gab and soon Truth Social. Jackie's greatest desire is that God would be glorified through these dark times. So a couple more things before we close here, a couple more questions specifically about your book. Um, uh, what are some challenges that you specifically speak to fathers about in your book? Because obviously this is a, this is to parents, not just mothers, correct? Right. Well, I think there's a cultural expectation and unfortunately one that is sustained by the church. And that is that if fathers go work a job and bring home a paycheck and pay the bills, they've done their duty. Um, scripturally, I don't see that at all. Um, in fact, you know, when you go through, and I talk about this in my book, uh, Education, Does God Have an Opinion, which is another book that I've written. Um, in this book, I talk about what God says about education. And if you do a study through the Bible on education, you find that God commands fathers and mothers to teach and instruct their children. Um, and I went through the Bible, you know, and study, studying for these books and read every verse in the Bible that had to do with marriage, parenting, child training, child discipline, teaching, instruction, education, you know, all these terms. I did studies deep into all, all the verses, you know, reading the Hebrew, reading the Greek, reading all the commentaries. Like, I really want to understand what does the Bible say on these issues? And I was very surprised to find that fathers are commanded to teach and instruct their children more than twice as often as mothers, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, because, you know, if you look at the homeschooling world today, it's it's almost exclusively moms who are teaching their children. And then um, as I was studying for the Raising Them Up book, 
and I was looking at discipline, I found that all the passages in the Bible that speak about discipline are either stated generically as a concept, like just talking about the concept of discipline or being self-disciplined or, or you know, the, the need for discipline in someone's life, either generic concepts or they're specifically addressed to fathers. And there are many verses in the Bible where fathers are commanded by God to discipline their children. But I found it interesting, and I had never read it in a book. I've never heard it in a sermon. I've never heard anybody else teach on this. But I was shocked to find that there are zero verses in the Bible where God ever commands a woman to discipline a child. And that was kind of an awakening to me because God specifically tells fathers multiple times to discipline their children and never once tells a mother. God commands mothers to teach and instruct, but she never tells them. In fact, it's in one place it even says in Proverbs, uh, listen to my son to your mother's instruction and don't neglect your father's discipline. Like it actually parses it out in that way. And so I talk about in the Raising Them Up book how I believe that there's a reason that God addresses the discipline to fathers. And again, most children in America, even in Christian homes, I think are, are really not disciplined adequately or or well uh, but if discipline is happening it's almost always happening by the mothers and um, i'm not saying let me be clear and run a disclaimer here i'm not saying that god forbids mothers to discipline their children i'm not saying it's a sin for mothers to discipline their children or that mothers are not allowed to discipline their children that's not what i'm saying it's not what the bible teaches but i think there's a reason why god specifically commands fathers to and never specifically commands mothers to. And um, so I, th I think that those things, you know, the, the teaching and instruction of children and the discipline of children are severely neglected duties on the parts of fathers. And so I talk about why that is and then practically how to do that. Because a lot of dads feel like, well, I can't be in charge of discipline in my home because I work all day and I come home and I don't have a mechanism for being able to discipline when I'm not there during the day. And I've had to figure that out in my own life. And so I have a whole chapter in there where I talk about child discipline and how fathers can really get back in the driver's seat on that discipline issue. And I've found experientially in my own life, but also with other families that I've worked with, that when that happens, it's a game changer, that the whole dynamic oftentimes of obedience in the home changes radically when dad takes responsibility for discipline. And so um, there's just a lot of things in raising them up that are unique, things like that, that I don't think you find in any other parenting books. Wow, that's really interesting, because, you know, I find naturally speaking, mothers have a harder time with the discipline anyways. Um, it's, you know, now there are, there are instances where the mother is a stronger figure in the home, but in general, it feels like, um, you know, it's the, it's, it's more natural for the father to be the, the person that does the discipline. So that's very, very interesting concept. I hadn't really thought about that before. Yeah. Also, I think, you know, when the mom's there with the, the two to four year old, you know, with the toddler, she needs to be doing that because they need to be corrected instantaneously. They, they won't even remember you know, at the end of the day what they did, like their memory and attention span is so short. But but I find that a lot of moms, especially with sons, when their sons get to be about 11 years old, it can vary a little bit. But in those tweener years. Uh, 10, 11, 12, they start pushing back on mom. And I believe a lot of that is just how God has hardwired men 
And a young man, as he's coming into maturity and he's coming into manhood, there's something about the way that he's crafted that he just does not want a woman telling him what to do. And he begins to chafe against that and push against that authority from his mother. And when dad does not step in at that season and really assume the responsibility for the discipleship of that young man, it goes bad. I've seen it so many times because it's his role. And, you know, I was raised in my teen years by a single parent mother. Uh, my parents divorced when I was six and uh, my mom had a, 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 you know, married a guy who was not a Christian and I had an abusive stepfather for a while. But by, by the time I was a teenager, my mom was a single parent. And so I understand that sometimes that's your only dynamic. Like you don't have a godly man in the house who can fill that role. And in those situations, God provides grace. But in general, as a rule, and I say this especially as a young man growing up with five sisters and a single parent mom, in general, as a rule, it takes a man to teach a man how to be a man. And so, uh, again, you know, if you're not in that situation, then there's a special grace for you. And, and I think I am in some ways uh, maybe the poster child for the fact that God can still salvage your life. <laughs> and do something meaningful with it, even if you grow up without a godly dad in the home, right? Because that's my story. So I'm thankful that, it, you know, the fact that there's not a godly father in the family doesn't mean you're doomed to be a derelict and have a prison record your whole life. But but in hey, general, I, I found that even even with homeschooling my, my uh, teen boys, that having the accountability of their father um, versus mom always having to be the one that they're answering to in the homeschooling can even be very big time helpful too. Yeah. B big time. I mean, I, again, I have five sons and um, four of them are 13 and older and there are things that they will try with their mom that they won't try with me. Um, they're, they will argue with their mom. They'll push back. They'll, you know, try to, I don't know, be belligerent or whatever. They don't try that with me. <laughs> It's not that I'm necessarily some kind of brute, but there's a there's right. an authority right. that a father has, yeah. and uh, and unfortunately, most fathers just don't know what God expects from them. They've never really read the Bible in any serious way, especially as it relates to family life, and they think they know. Well, I'm supposed to go work a job and bring home a paycheck. They think they know what God expects from them, and they just don't. And so. I have seen um, dads in particular who read Raising Them Up and it just changes their life and then it changes their family. And it's not that, you know, I'm this great smart person. It's just that I've actually dug into what scripture says and I'm just, you know, compiling it and then kind of saving people the heavy lifting. Right. And you still have to do it. Like knowing it doesn't even fix it. You still have to do it. But uh, it, it is life-changing when a father really sees what God expects of him and then starts walking it out. It makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. So we need to start wrapping it up, but I have one last question. Um, when I'm looking at your table of contents, I am just very curious about this title, Hospitality. It's not just for women anymore. Can you give me a little summary of, of what you talk about in that chapter? Because I'm just, this is just very intriguing for me. Well, I was doing a study through uh, the biblical qualifications for church elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and there's a whole list of things there. And I have looked at that in my life as uh, things that I want to aspire to. I want to be like the guy that's described in those chapters. 
And right now, you know, I have never been part of a local church leadership team. I don't want to be <laughs> like, so I'm not aspiring to be a church leader. That's not my goal. Right. But I've felt as though, wow, it's such a high standard that's given in this list of what a guy must be in order to be an elder in a church. Uh, you know, and most men wouldn't come close to qualifying. Uh, in fact, most currently, you know, hired paid pastors in churches don't meet the criteria in those passages, even though that's what the scripture says. You know, we've kind of set the standard of like, if you have a seminary degree, then you're qualified. Well, the Bible doesn't even say you need a seminary degree. It says you have to meet all of these criteria in first Timothy three and Titus one. And one of the things it mentions in this whole list of things is he must be hospitable. And that's something that I thought about in my own life, how I just chafe at that. Um, part of it is I travel a lot and I'm busy. And like, when I come home, I want to do what every other dad does. Now I'll be clear. I don't. Okay. But I want to, I want to just throw myself in a recliner kick back, grab a remote control and just veg out on some mindless thing on TV and watch a basketball game or whatever and kind of ignore my family and say, hey, bring me popcorn. I don't do that, right? Because I know that's not healthy for my family, but my flesh wants that. Right. And so this thought that a church elder must be hospitable is one that chafes at me a little bit because my wife is given the hospitality. Like she loves to have guests. She loves to show hospitality. And it's, it's not that I don't like people. I just, I think they, look, they have their own homes. Like they can, <laughs> they can enjoy their homes. Let me enjoy my home. Right. I just need some downtime here. And I'm not saying it's, it's wrong because we all need downtime. Right. But I've had to push myself outside of my comfort zone a little bit to, to learn how to be given to hospitality and enter into that in the same way that my wife is more naturally inclined. But if the scripture tells me that that's what God expects of church elders, I think that that's what God expects of men mm -hmm. and that we as men need to have a heart of hospitality. And it shows a lot about us. It shows a lot about what our values are and what we really love and what we cherish when our lives are either about other people or they're about us. And so uh, that's where that chapter came from. And it was kind of a, a challenge to men, yeah. you know, to, to consider that, um, it's really unfair, again, that we put it on our wives to to educate the children, to teach them the academics if we're homeschooling, to discipline them, to feed them, to clothe them, to raise the children. Like they pretty much raise the children and then they have to initiate even things like showing hospitality or, you know, and basically guys just tend to be dead weight. Yeah, that's not right. Um, it's not how God designed it. And so you know, part of my role, I think this podcast probably listened to mostly by moms, but part of my role as a man is I feel like, you know, I have some responsibility to kick us men in the butt and say, come on guys, like, right. you're not even coming close to doing what the scripture expects of you. And, and I'm not either. Right. So we, we need to man up and it's hard for a mom to be able to say that or a wife to say that to her husband. Right. But what you can do is, is you can leave this in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you can get raising them up parenting for christians and you can read it and, and i think even reading it aloud and um uh thank god i i think they're in the working on um doing an audio book of it soon we we just got the audio book out for uh uh maybe we even have it let me think no no we got the audio books for my uh, questions god asks questions jesus asks uh, education does God have an opinion and pitch in a fit. I think all those books are available on audio now. I think there's one that's being created for 
raising them up. But in the meantime, you may have to just read it uh, to your husband and check masterbooks.com. Um, my website is familyrenewal.org. You can get the print books from us. Any print books that you get from our website, from familyrenewal.org, um, I'll sign for you. Uh, so that's a benefit from getting them from our site. But but check masterbooks.com for the audios. Uh, they may even have it out uh, by now. But you may have to read it to your husband or, or like I said, just you know, leave it around and, and say, hey, I'm reading this book. I'd love to have your thoughts on it. And sometimes even just a few key, key chapters, because sometimes the dad will feel intimidated by a whole book. But if you say, hey, I'd be you know, curious if you would read this chapter and just let me know what you think of it. Mm -hmm. um, some, sometimes they'll even get interest in the whole book if they see a chapter or two that um, speaks to them. Right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So inspiring. I've learned so much. I've been encouraged so much that I know that our listeners are going to just um, be very, very blessed by these podcasts. And um, uh, I just want to thank you because you are so busy. You have such a, a busy traveling schedule and speaking schedule and then uh, just making time for your own family. So to be with us here on this podcast has been um, a huge blessing. So I just I just want to thank you so very much for your time. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. And I just want to encourage the listeners too that, you know, if you're in a season right now where you're feeling discouraged about your family, you're feeling discouraged about where your family is, uh, God can do big things. You know, I think back to my mom in my teen years as a single parent, just coming out of an abusive relationship, a second divorce, uh, having, you know, a family that was in no way near the poster family for, you know, Christian parenting success or anything like that. But my single parent mom just decided that she was just going to turn to God and trust God to provide for us, trust God to show us his ways. And um, the Lord used her faithfulness and example uh, to inspire me and some of my siblings, you know, to, um, to do what we're doing, you know, and, and, uh, so everything that I've done through family renewal really traces back to her, you know, a first generation Christian trying to find her way, you know, and she made a lot of mistakes, but, um, she was sincere and really wanting to obey God and do what God said. And so, you know, their your example in this generation will, inspire your children in the next generation so don't don't give up like a bad chapter is not the end of the story uh, just continue to be faithful and trust god thank you so much thanks for joining us on the deep roots at home podcast we pray it has encouraged you in your walk with the lord and as you serve your family could you do us a favor if this has blessed you, could you help us spread the word by liking and sharing this podcast with your friends? And don't forget, we have lots of great links in the show notes that go along with today's podcast. See you next time.